So here's the title today. The title is Worldly Voices Versus God's Word from Psalm 12. Worldly Voices Versus God's Word. So we are living, as y'all know, in a uh, during a heavyweight matchup between God's words and the world's words, right? Worldly voices. And this heavyweight matchup dates all the way back to Genesis 3, the very first three chapters of the Bible. So God says, do not eat the fruit of that tree. And then the evil one says to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? So at the very beginning of the Bible, there's this heavyweight matchup between God and what he says and the evil one and the world and what they say. And so it's no different today. Think about this. In that one moment in Genesis 1 through 3, it's the same tree. It's the same fruit that God and the evil one are talking about, but very different words and strikingly different sources. And as we know that and as we're wise to those things as believers, we're going to be more capable to be in this world as exiles. Heaven is our home, uh, effectively, for God's glory and the good of others. We recognize that words are powerful, and so is your decision about on whose words you trust. I want to say that again. Words are powerful, and so is your decision about on whose words you trust trust and on whose words, about whose words you are listening and building your life. So Psalm 12 describes a time much like today when the voices of this world were loud and pushy and powerful and plentiful and popular and other words that start with P, right? And uh, the words of God were under attack. They're under attack today. They were under attack then. And so the question this morning as we get into Psalm 12, as we think about you know, where we are in our, in our cultural moment as well, the question is on whose words are you hanging? Right, on whose words do you hang? Worldly voices or God's word? So here's a big idea today. And y'all, this is, this is a helpful phrase I pray for us as, as believers. When the world's words are ascendant, meaning on the rise and big and loud and pushy and strong and popular. When the world's words are ascendant, God's words remain above them, right? Do y'all believe that? Yes. I want to ask again, do y'all believe that? Yes. So when the world's words are ascendant, as they are today, God's words remain above them. No matter how big they get, how, how popular they get, how pushy they get, God's word remains above them. So, so I want to show you today four things from these eight verses, what David knew and meditated upon as he faced the ascendance of voices so that we too can face them well and with wisdom in, in our cultural moment today. So here's the first one from verses one through two. The first two we're going to look at today are about the world's words. The second two are about God's words. And so here's the first one. The world's words are suspect, right? The world's words are suspect, verses one and two. So it says, to the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David, verse one says, save, O Lord. Why? For the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips 
and a double heart they, what? They speak. So we know really quickly Psalm 12 is about words and very specifically the world's words and how David is learning to face that situation. So what was going on? There's three things. Number one, the voice of this world had banished the godly. The voice of this world had banished the godly. The second thing is believers were silent and in hiding. They're thinking, this is loud, this is pushy, I'm gonna retreat, I'm gonna be quiet, I'm I'm gonna hide. And then the third thing is that the words of the day then were lying to neighbor. Think about this, Jesus said, love your neighbor. The words of the day then were lying to neighbor. The second one is flattery. And flattery, if you think about what flattery is, it, it serves the speaker and not the hearer. When you say something to flatter someone, you're really, you're really trying to position yourself towards something by making that person be in better favor with you or you in better favor with that person. And then the third thing verse two says is there's a double-heartedness to the words of this world. And that means saying one thing with the opposite intent. So you're luring people toward you, but you have a completely different intent. You'll say something, but you'll do something else. And that's the words of this world. And this is what David is experiencing. He is very specific about it in verses one and two. And then think about this, as we just think about the New Testament and what Jesus said about our words and how we as believers are to be the salt of the world, the light of the world. The preservative salt at this time in Psalm 12 the preservative salt that the godly are to add to culture was barely present. And David is saying he's alone, the godly are gone. And because the salt that the godly were to add to culture was barely present, the world was rotting. And David didn't want the world to rot. David wanted the world to know God. Uh, David wanted people to know him and to worship him. So what did David do? What did David do with this enormous problem that was facing his culture. What do we do with this enormous problem that's facing our culture? What do we do? He laid it out before the Lord. He laid it out before the Lord. He, he wasn't bemoaning it as much as he was saying, I'm gonna take this to the Lord and pray it to you, Lord. And he takes it and he's lamenting that it's happening. He's lamenting the lies. He's lamenting the flattery. He's lamenting the double-heartedness. He's lamenting that the godly are gone. And he's taking that to the Lord. And then he's pleading with the Lord, pleading with the Lord and trusting the Lord. We've got to lay out our problems before the Lord, right? We've got to lay out before the Lord the things that we're facing in this world that we know are too big for any one person to handle. So we go to the Lord. We take it to the Lord. So here's a huge uh, question. Actually, actually, let me, before I do that, let me, let me just observe three things really quickly with you. David laid it out before the Lord. Here's what David did that sometimes our tendency might be to do something awesome, uh, uh, different than this. Our tendency might be to mock the world's voice. Maybe that's some of you in this room, like, like your habit is to mock the world's voice. But David didn't do that. David lamented it. Or our tendency might be to believe the world's voice. And David didn't do that either. He was suspicious of it. And then our tendency might be to join the world's voice. And David for sure didn't do that. Instead, he held fast to God's word. So the question I was going to ask you just a moment ago that I'll ask now is, how did David so decisively not abide in the world's voices that were so loud and so prevalent and so popular and so pushy? How did he not abide in that? How did he hold fast while everyone else was going into hiding? How did he do that? And the answer is, David knew the world's character versus God's character. That's the fundamental difference. He knew the world's character versus God's character. David knew God and his word 
and then he knew not God's word, right? He knew God and God's word, and he knew not God and not God's word. So the question for us is, do you? Do you? Do you know the difference, right? Do you know the difference between God's character and the world's character? Do you know the difference between God's word and the world's word? And if you know the difference, can you follow that difference and trust the Lord within it? I remember years ago, a friend said to me, um, the majority of people think this. And so as a result, uh, that, that is right. The popular opinion is right. And, and that person was sharing, you know, popular opinion uh, as a defense for why something is right. But a better defense for why something is right is what God says. Amen? Amen? A better defense is what does God say? What does God think? But y'all, that is the moment that each of us face as believers. Because we have to answer that question for ourselves and, and amidst one another. What is more important to us? And what are we actually applying? What God says or what others say? That is a definitive moment. And David got it right. And are, are we getting it Right. Another thing that, and, and we talked about this a lot before, but another thing that the world would justify as, as means of being right is as feelings, right? We've talked about how feelings are the idol of our culture. The other idol of our culture is self. But if you think about it, self and feelings go together, right? Because it's my feelings, it's, it's self feelings. And so those things, whatever I feel is right. But I want you to think about these two things that the world is always holding up as this is right. The popularity thing is always changing, right? Are you with me on that? What's popular always changes and your feelings always change. So there are terrible reasons for us to think that's right. Are you with me on that? Like just logically, there are terrible reasons. And what is right and feels right today, what is popular and feels right today, it used to be like two years from now to be different. Now it's two months. That's how quickly things are changing. All of us are aware of that. We're just like real talking today, right? All of us are aware of that. So the question for us is, what does God say? What does God say is right? And the key to knowing the difference is knowing God and God's word so that you can know not God and not God's word. And then following through on it. So point one, the world's words are suspect. Are they for you? The world's words are suspect. Second is the world flexes using words. The world flexes using words. Like if you want to be impressive in this world today, like forget the gym, just get good with words, right? Just get good with persuasion. It's what our world really honors. And especially if you can speak in the world's voice persuasively, you will have a rocket ship to the top in our culture right now, right? So the world flexes using words, verses three through four. Look at this. May the Lord Cut off all flattering lips, David praying, and the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. We say what? God is with us, right? They say our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Meaning they've got control because they have the words. They're flexing using words. They're boasting about the word power that they have. They're controlling communication. They're controlling what is said. Verse four is a flex about the power that the worldly voice can have. And then verse three is a prayer against the world's words. Why? Why? Like, why does David care? Why does David care? And then like, why should we care? 
right? David cares, so okay, we should care, but like, why, why, why does he care? Why do, why should, why should David care? Why should we care? And here's the answer. It's so that the world can instead know and follow God and his ways. That's our heart, right? We want the, Lord, the world to know God and to know God's ways and to follow God's ways. That's why David is so jealous that God's word be exalted and the world's word would be, world, uh, words would be, would be silenced. He's saying, cut off these things, Lord. What a, what a strong prayer. So I want to give you four examples of how the world flexes so that they, the world can reach prominence, all right? And, and these are just general things. Number one is the world will try to deny that God exists. That's the first thing. And that's, that's like chapter one in, in the playbook is deny, deny God. The second one is deny, uh, denial of God's judgment. And, and what's interesting is we've seen these in Psalms 3 through 11 so far. Deny God, deny God's judgment. And then third, the world will push its way and then fourth, the world will push its gods. Those are the four things that the world is, is regularly doing in, in every culture against the Lord. So why does David care? Why should we care? Because we want the world to know God and to follow him and to follow his ways. Uh, there's a term called silver tongues. And uh, it's not always a negative term, but generally speaking, I think it, 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 can, it can have that connotation more often than not. So silver tongues, and I chose this word, and you'll understand why in a minute as we get going further in the Psalms, but silver tongues are those who have the ability of persuasion with words, right? But the wise know that silver tongues, what they do is string together swollen sentences, but the wise know that it's just a word parade. The wise know that it's just a a word parade. Silver tongues in this world string together swollen sentences, boasting big things, boasting what is right, boasting what is God, boasting what is not God, boasting non-judgment. But the wise know that it's just a word parade. And y'all need to know this, like we know it as, as, as people who love God's word and who, who read God's word, the silver-tongued world is not respected by this psalm. And the silver-tongued world is not respected by James 3, the, the chapter where half of it is, is about the tongue. The silver-tongued world is not respected by the book of Proverbs, right? I, just studying the Proverbs this week, thinking through this sermon, there's so, there are maybe, I, I don't know, I can't even guess, there's so dozens and dozens of Proverbs about how the world uses words versus how God uses words. And the silver tongue is not respected by Jesus, as he interacts with Pharisees, like literally Jesus is calling Pharisees whitewashed tombs who say one thing, but they're empty on the inside, right? Silver tongues are not respected in the Lord's word. And then, and then the Holy Spirit, through Timothy, the Holy Spirit laments, 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, so when you think about that for a minute, that's not actually a teacher. That's actually a follower they're accumulating for themselves because they want a teacher to come and teach the things that they are saying they must teach, right? Rather than submitting yourself under a teacher, and we know that teacher to be the Lord. G.K. Chesterton, he writes this phrase is, is so solid. He says, the world loves easy speeches that comfort cruel men. So another thing to consider have y'all ever noticed that uh, the goalposts of worldly voices 
uh, are always moving. We talked about how like the popularity or of, of a thought or, or feelings, those things are always moving. But think about even what the world pushes, the goalposts are always moving. So that's, a, that's an interesting thing to consider. A more interesting thing to consider is why are the goalposts always moving? Why are the goalposts always moving? And the answer is because their footing is the tides of this world rather than the rock on which God says to build our lives. So think about this. If the tides of the world are always moving, which they are, all of us agree with this. I think every single person in our culture would say like, yeah, the tides are always moving, right? That's just normal, right? So if they're always moving, then for sure what we, what we think, what we believe culturally is always gonna be moving as well. But our goalposts as Christian people remain the same because God's word endures forever and never fades and never withers, amen? Just think about the difference of that for a minute. Right? We are a people who know God, who know God's word. Neither of those things ever change. And we live in a world where everything is constantly changing. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word never fades nor withers. And we have this luxury of knowing that and not being so tossed to and fro by the waves and winds and doctrine of this world, right? Ephesians 4. Isaiah 40, verse 8, in the Old Testament, and then 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25, the same phrase, God's word endures forever. It never fades nor withers. So do we believe that? Are we practicing that in our daily lives? And then here comes another breath of fresh air. All right, so, so first, first half of the psalm is like about the world and uh, its dominance with words. And then the second half of the psalm is about the Lord and his, and his real dominance with words truth, right? So we've seen that the world's, the world's words are suspect, and we've seen that the world flexes using words, and now we see, but the Lord's words are pure. Verses five and six, but the Lord's words are pure. So this is where David's at, devotionally. He's saying, Lord, I'm facing all of this stuff. I'm the king. I've got to represent you, but I feel so alone, but I know that your words are pure. He's taking these things to the Lord and then he's saying, God, I know your words are pure. I trust your words above all other words. And this is the first Psalm with a direct answer from the Lord. And direct answers from the Lord are called answering oracles. And that's what we have here in verse five. So verse five says this, because, so this is, this is God the Father speaking, replying to David in prayer, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And then David responds to that devotionally. Verse six, he says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Y'all, this is awesome. Like what gets God up off of his throne and standing up for the world and for his poor and afflicted ones who are the godly in this world? One is the lack of truth and he stands up and defends his people. He answers that he will rise and protect the poor and afflicted. That's his people. So one thing that we human beings and we, we godly people can doubt is whether or not God really cares about what is right. And then you see here in verse five, God absolutely cares about what is right. He is not lax about it. He in fact rises to protect his people. And then in verse six, as David's responding to God's answer, what David is doing is establishing his own heart in the Lord. You'll notice like the worldly voice here in, in Psalm 12, it doesn't end, it doesn't diminish 
but David's heart is established and he's recognizing that God's word is pure. God's word is pure silver, he says, as if it's been refined and purified seven times. So think about this contrast. God's word is not silver-tongued or a shiny veneer with a hollow core like the world's is. Rather, God's word is pure with a holy core. And David knew that. And David recognizes that. And, and he's recognizing that the Lord's words are pure. So hold on to those. Hold fast to those. Consider this also. In God's word, there is no lying. There's no flattery. There's no double heart. God tells the truth with love. In God's word, there's no lying. All of it is true for you. All of it is true for us. All of it is true for humanity. There's no lying from God. There's no flattery from God saying like we're more than we are or to try to like win us. He's, he's honest with us and he provides for us his love. There's no double heart from God. Like God says one thing, but he's gonna do something else. God tells the truth with love. God's words are pure. And then you think who else's words are pure? You're like, no one's. Who else's words are pure? Pure, no one's. Only God's words are pure. Y'all, we desperately need the right voice. Why? Because we need the truth, we need the love, we need the word for life, and God is that word, and he gives us his word. So the psalm finishes with these last two verses. So we see, but the Lord's words are pure, and the Lord is faithful to his word. The Lord is faithful to his words from verses seven and eight. So we've come full circle. David has done this huge compare and contrast thing about worldly voices versus God's word. We've seen that the world's words are suspect, that the world flexes with words and then, but the Lord's words are pure and the Lord is faithful to his words. Verses seven and eight, it says this. You, O Lord, will keep them, meaning his words, meaning his promises. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So the psalm ends kind of where it began. Like it's the same problem, but what's different now is David is established in the Lord afresh. He knows God's words are pure. He knows God will be faithful to his words all around him. He describes the scene like the wicked are prowling. Vileness is exalted in this world. But David trusts the Lord. David's following God and following God's word and he's not duped by some overlap comparison of the two. Not only is there no lying, flattery, nor double heart in God's words, God is also faithful to his words. I want you all to consider the contrast. This is David set this up for us. The wicked do not carry out their words. Their goalposts move. Their real intent is eventually exposed. But God is faithful to his pure word. Enormous contrast. Another one is while the wicked are prowling around, exalting vileness, God is ministering to people, exalting what is good. It's the utter opposite. The wicked are prowling around, exalting vileness, and God is ministering to people, exalting what is good. Another one is while others are breaking their promises, God, despite human intent otherwise, continues to deliver his. 
Think about all the human intent in world history to subvert God's word and to like pull out phrases or verses or chapters or whatever that we're uncomfortable with, get those out, all of that. Or even think about this, the example of Jesus Christ being born and the king of the land at that time decreeing that all boys under two years old be killed. Like this world will stop at nothing to subvert God's word, but God's truth goes marching on. Amen? Like it can survive everything, and it is, and David is refreshed in that and knows all of that again. Here's another example. God is faithful to his promises like sending Jesus the first time and like telling us that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. I want to share two verses with you all, and these are probably familiar verses to most of us, but I want to share them having just been through Psalm 12. The first one is Psalm 119, 105. And it says, your word or thy word, if you know the old song or you memorized it like KJV back in the day growing up, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my paths. You think about that in the context of Psalm 12 and you're like, man, that verse carries some weight. Like this world's dark. This world's exalting vileness, but your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path so I can get through following your word. And then another one, James 1.17. In James 1, there, there isn't this contrast like there is in Psalm 12. And so if we were to put James 1.17, just think about it with Psalm 12, it's so helpful to us. With God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. This world there is variation. There is shadow due to change. In fact, part of the way the world communicates is a shadow game. But with God, there is no shadow nor variation due to change. So some closing questions. In this heavyweight match, on whose words do you hang? Whose words are you following? God's words or worldly voices? And then another thought is, as this year closes and next year begins, how will you plan to steep yourself in God's word so that you can know him and his word and hold fast to him during worldly voices? And if y'all have been with us for a couple of years and you've done the reading plan, we're finishing the Bible in two years. That's awesome, Ronnie. Just just cast the vision for us reading the New Testament through one chapter a day for all of 2024. It's going to be great. If you need a reading plan, jump on it with us. And then, and then Ronnie's uh, picked from each of those five, from one of those five chapters, a verse from one of those five chapters that will be reading a verse for us to memorize every week. So we read for five days and we're memorizing a verse or two each week. That's amazing. Just think about that. The, the intake of God's word, the intake of God's voice, how good that is for us. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths. Think about how good that is for us and then memorizing it it's in our minds it's in our heart it's in our lives what a great what a great pursuit we're looking forward to this next year Um, as i close today i i want to share some trustworthy words of jesus that his sacrifice on the cross is by our faith in what he's done for us our means of forgiveness of sins and new life in God. So we're going to share we're going to share communion together. But here's how I want to here's how I want to cast it today. When we share communion, we're recognizing that this is what the Lord has done for us. 
And we know that. And we, we, we identify with the Lord and his death and his resurrection on our behalf. So we want to do that for sure. But today I also want us to meditate as we're taking communion on the fact that this is true. That Jesus' words are pure. That when Jesus says, this represents my body that was sacrificed for you and this represents my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can have eternal life with God, he is not lying to you. He is not flattering you. He's not double-hearted about it. Like, let me get... Let me give them this thing or this illustration or this sacrifice that he did historically, but it really has no meaning. No, this is a remembrance of him and what he did on the cross has eternal meaning for you. And I want you to believe that in truth and know it more significantly and deeply than you've ever known it before. You can trust God. You can trust Jesus. We can trust that Jesus, when he says we're sinners, We agree with him. We're sinners in need of a savior. He's right. He's not lying to us. He's not flattering us. But he's also full of grace and saying, you gotta forget, you gotta ask for forgiveness of your sins. You've gotta place your faith in Jesus for eternal life. You gotta place your faith specifically in what Jesus did for you, taking your place to pay the penalty of your sin on the cross. You gotta place your faith in that. He's speaking true words to you. He's not flattering you. He's not double-hearted. But if you place your faith in him, you will be saved. Right? Do you believe the significance of this? We take God at his word. And then he gives us this wonderful illustration to, so that we can be reminded to take God at his word. So we're gonna share this in just a minute, but I wanna give you a moment to reflect. Uh, I want you to think, Lord, do I trust your word more than I trust the world's voices? And if there's some areas where you trust the world's voices more, I, I want you to take that to the Lord and just confess that to him. And then by the power of the Spirit, I pray you'd repent of that and follow God and his word and to do that in boldness and to trust him. So just take some time to pray. And I'll lead us in one more thing to pray in just a minute. Lord, here's some areas I don't, I don't trust your word. Here's some areas where I don't agree with your word. Here's some areas where I've... I've just succumbed to the worldly voices, the popularity, the pushiness. And I know, I know it doesn't line up with your word, but I'm kind of just circling your word and not really looking at it honestly. Confess that to him, repent of that. Maybe even within that, just con- confess our fears. Confess our thought that the world is winning when really God's word remains above the words of this world. And and just have your faith in that. And then next thing to pray is just, Lord, thank you that your word is so reliable. Thank you that we can share communion here in a minute and believe that what you did is real and we can trust you with it. Thank you that you don't flatter us. Thank you that you're not double-hearted. Thank you that you're not lying to us, Lord. Thank you that you're true. Thank you that your words are pure. Thank you that your word, that you are faithful to your words.
and let's share communion together now. It's true words from Jesus about his sacrifice and his blood on the cross for a new covenant with the Lord of forgiveness of sins. His body sacrificed for us. And his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins.